chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Kind of the concluding chapter of Paul's letter to, uh, to the Philippians. Uh, a letter written uh, not only because Paul was familiar with being in jail when he was in Philippi, but he writes this now while he is also imprisoned. Okay? And uh, so he's got some, some kind of final instructions for God's people. And uh, being the people of God, those instructions come directly to us as God's Word. And so as we hear this, uh, we understand that it is by this Word and through the power of His Spirit that He speaks and brings new life to us through these wonderful words. So we're going to begin reading at uh, verse 4 of Philippians chapter 4 and read through the 13th verse. Hear the word of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. May God speak to us through this word and through uh, the explanation as the Spirit of God works in our hearts together. I trust that this morning, with the beautiful sun shining, it's cool, and yet we're here in this warm place, and as you think about the many blessings that God has provided for you, I trust that you are grateful for all that you have today. That's a good reminder for us to think about that and to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, because we have been given so much. 
on a regular basis, I think, by and large, we are grateful for the most part. Grateful for the most part in most of life's circumstances that surround us. But the question that the Apostle Paul kind of raises through the back door or from the back side, the question that he really is asking is this. But for all that we have, is that actually enough? Do we believe that? That what we have right now is enough? Or would we like a little more? Do we strive for a little more? Do we yearn and long for more? Do we sometimes dream about more than enough of what we already have? And how much more would it take for us to remain thankful? Do we keep a little more and a little more and a little more and along the way we continue to grow in our thankfulness? Or is it, well, we have about the same as we did last year or last week and I guess our thankfulness continues to be about the same. Or if we have a little less than we had before, maybe our thankfulness actually decreases. And that's, of course, if things are going in an average or normal kind of pace in our lives. When our personal lives sometimes are filled with those things that we dread and want to keep away, things like pain and illness, pain and disappointment, what does that do to our spirit of thankfulness. Or when we suffer grief and loss of many different kinds, not only personal losses of, of life and friendships, family members, but loss of things, loss of stuff that we thought God had given to us. When, when we experience that in our lives, does thanks sometimes elude us? Do we somehow often suppress that spirit of thankfulness? The Apostle Paul has learned to navigate all of those experiences in life. And now he is here, once again, in prison, writing this letter, and that letter becomes God's Word to us, and the, the Apostle Paul says that he has learned how to navigate these things in life. And what he speaks to us by this written letter is helpful in reorienting our life on a day-by-day -day basis and leading us to a deeper kind of gratitude that has less to do with our circumstances and it has everything to do with our relationship to God. He wants that relationship to God, that spirit of thankfulness as we're going through the ups and downs, the ins and outs of life, to lead to a more God-honoring level of contentment. Gratefully content. 
That was the Apostle Paul. He doesn't say so outright, but you get the idea that he wasn't always that way. Right? What did Paul say? I had to learn the secret of contentment. And if Paul can learn that secret, we can too, as a matter of fact. That's why he's writing to the Philippian Christians and to us. This is a learned response. How do we learn it? And why is it so important? Well, it's so important because the tug and the pull of life is always there to pull us away from contentment. Paul says, I've learned to be grateful in every situation. That's hard work. You and I know that because we've experienced enough of life to know that you don't just turn on a grateful or a thankful attitude. It's something that has to be learned and deeply ingrained in us. I have learned, Paul says, to be grateful in any and every situation, whether I have a lot or whether I have a little, whether I barely have enough to eat or whether I'm at a feast and a banquet, more than enough to eat. I'm sharing that with friends or whether I'm sitting alone in prison. I've learned the secret of being content. Here's why that's so important, not only in Paul's time and Paul's situation in prison, but why it's so important in our life and particularly in our culture. You see, being grateful, having an attitude of gratefulness resists the cultural pull that is constantly moving us away from God. What do I I mean by that cultural pull? Well, that cultural pull is out there saying to your hands, you need a little more. Grab it. Grasp it. Try to get it. It's not just your hands, though, that are affected. It's it's also, it's also your head. It's the way you think. Culture wants you to believe the lie that says you will never have enough. You will always need more. Not only will you need more, but the very essence of your being is in the pursuit of getting more. And in the process, you believe the lie that you will never be satisfied. Oh, you may be satisfied for a short time if you get some prize vacation or car, or house, or raise, or grade. But that's quickly fleeting because then you're on to the next thing. That cultural pull on our hands and in our head, but it's also in our heart. Because the cultural pull says there are things that you can love more than God. And as you pursue them, you will grow in love of them even more than you do of God. So not just your hands, and it's not just your head, but it's your heart that is constantly being tugged to pull away, to begin to love those things that are 
really gifts of God instead of the giver himself. Like I said, there's so much in culture today that tells you you're not satisfied. Oh, it doesn't really say that. But what it does say is you need more. You need better. You need to share the experience that these folks had because it certainly is better than what you're having. If you've been on social media at all, if you've watched any advertisements, you know that that kind of message is constantly there. Recently read a, a gentleman who's uh, seeking to understand better what biblical wisdom means in living in today's culture. And uh, his name is Michael Poor, and, and, and this, is what, this is what Michael said uh, recently or, or wrote. He said, boredom, boredom is the all-encompassing name that we give our discontent in the late modern age. Boredom. Well, we've probably heard kids say that. I'm bored. Which means I don't have anything to do. Or I don't have anything to do that I really like to do. Yeah, there's plenty to do, but not what I want. I want something more. I want something better. But adults sometimes get bored as well. Bored with what they have. And bored with the anxiety about what they want but can't have. A lot of this, uh, Michael Poor says, you know, has arisen out of this sense of we have a right to happiness. We ought, we ought to always be happy in our lives. But also that sense that deep down we ought to be satisfied. But instead of focusing on ourselves deep inside, what we see is a lack, an emptiness. And then we have to try to figure out how we're going to fill it. Well, if you have that sense of lack or emptiness and you're trying to find a way to fill it, let me tell you, there's more than enough people and organizations that are happy to help you find it. It'll cost you money. It'll cost you time. It'll cost you energy. It'll also cost you your heart and your head and your life. It'll cost you your relationship with God. Boredom in that sense, that sense of dissatisfaction is really the opposite of faith. The opposite of trusting in the God who provides. We live in a world and a culture that uh, entertainment is one of the key things that helps to massage, as it were, our boredom. I mean, you know what that is. I mean, we probably have all of these where you have entertainment of all kinds right in your pocket, in your hand. It's there. It's available. It's calling to you. And much of it says, you're really not satisfied with what you have. You're, you don't have enough. What does that, what does that sound like? You, you, you don't have enough. Well, you don't have enough stuff. 
So you need to have a little more. And there's plenty of ways to find that. Not just advertisements, but uh, the feed on your Facebook or your phone. You look once, and all of a sudden, things start popping in that say, oh, you should really have this. We have a better deal for you. We have more than our competitor. You don't have enough stuff. Or you don't have enough money or security in that money. You don't have enough social interaction. Or you don't really have enough of the right kind of experience because if you could have experienced what I experienced, then you would be happy. And we share some of those experiences, not just because we want to, but we see them and we want them for ourselves, even though that may not be a real possibility. You know, having, not having enough is hard. But at the core of that, there's something else. Something we don't often think about. At the core of that, is the statement, you are not enough. You are not enough. We hear it in little things like, you're not tall enough. If you're a kid, you may hear that. You're not old enough. Or the other side of that is, You're not young enough. You're too old. You're not cute enough. You're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. And as we hear these messages, we begin to understand that, well, maybe this is who we are. Not always appreciating who God has made us to be. And into that, you don't have enough, and you are not enough, steps the whole world of entertainment that says, you don't have to be bored. We'll take you on a journey that will always help you to stay happy and satisfied and make you feel like you not only have enough, but you are enough. I'm trying to wrap my head around the thought that the Apostle Paul, sitting in jail, not able to go anywhere, hearing him say, I'm bored. I'm bored. I'm discontent. I don't have enough. I'm not enough. No, Paul says, I've learned a secret. And it's that secret that I want to share with you. So Paul says, in those situations, as a matter of fact, as I'm moving through my life, one of the things that I constantly find myself doing is going back again and again to the Lord. If I'm bored, I need to pray. If I don't think I have enough, I need to pray. Not just that prayer in itself 
works somehow magically, but gratefully, Paul says, we can turn to our God in prayer, this God who is great and gracious to us. Do you notice how he says that when these kinds of anxious thoughts begin to uh, build in our lives? He says, uh, don't be anxious or continue to be anxious, but uh, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. What's Paul talking about that? Well, he's not talking about, well, before I can ask God for anything, I need to be thankful for the few things he has given me. No, he's talking about an attitude, an approach to God that says, God, I am thankful that in all that I'm experiencing, I can come to you and know that in you, I will find my heart's deepest satisfaction. You will stop what's going on in my head or my mind. You will bring the the spinning anxious thoughts and worries to a halt because you love me, you care for me, and you're calling me to trust in you. Paul says that's why I pray. With an approach of thanksgiving. No, I'm not going to be bored. I don't have to be bored. I'm going to come to my God and to my Savior, and I'm going to entrust my life to Him. The Heidelberg Catechism addresses this beautifully in question and answer 116, where it says, why do Christians need to pray? That's a wide-open question. There's lots of reasons. Top shelf for the authors of the Catechism. Why do we need to pray? Because prayer is the most important part of thankfulness that God requires of us. The most important part of thankfulness. Because God gives His grace and His Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually asking God for these gifts and thanking Him for them. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about. That key to finding our sense of satisfaction, our sense of enough, is through prayer to our God. With with gratitude, God is able to take whatever experience you have or whatever little or how much you have and be able to turn that into enough. Enough to be satisfied with God. You see, the peace that God gives is the one that fills our our hands. It fills our heads, our minds, and it fills our hearts with the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Because in Jesus Christ, God has given Himself to us. He is all that that we need. He is everything that we have need of. It's God, then, who truly satisfies our hearts. And Paul says, that's the secret I want you to learn. You can be grateful in every situation because with prayer, you are resisting the culture that's seeking to pull you away. And the secret of contentment for the Apostle Paul was something, as I said earlier, he had to learn. He had to work at it. And we can too. 
Here's the secret. Paul says, if you and I are going to navigate life and find our everything in God alone, we're going to have to do that relying on the strength of Jesus Christ. That closing verse, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You know, I sense here what Paul is saying. You need to be spiritually teamed up with the Spirit of Jesus Christ. You're not alone. You need to work together with the Spirit of Jesus Christ and with the company of His people as we seek to live out that sense of satisfaction in Christ alone. I can do this, Paul said. I can be content with Christ. I can be satisfied with whatever He provides. But only only through the strength that he provides am I able to do this. Paul talked about this earlier, a couple chapters earlier in this very same letter. He says, as you have always obeyed, continue now to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I can do all of this. Work it out, Paul says. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. We can because God is at work in us. And so Paul says, I I want to direct your head, which will follow then through your heart. I want to direct your thinking. He does this in verse 8. He says, you need to think in order to thank. Etymologically, those really are the same basic action word, think, to thank. So what is Paul's instruction? Verse 8, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if it's excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Train your minds to think about what God has built into His world and into the relationship that He has with us and we with Him. And the God of peace will be with you. It's that active kind of thinking that leaves us to thankfulness, a grateful level of contentment. Paul says, just a few verses before this, he says, you and I are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, not of this culture. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven in this culture. We're living under an entirely different kingdom dome right in the middle of this culture, and this is how it's going to affect you so that you can be gratefully content. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rest in the Lord's strength that's working in you. And the secret? Live in the strength that only Christ provides. Deepen that relationship of trust in Him, and He will give you the fruit of gratitude in your life. Let's pray together. Lord God, Indeed, you are great and greatly to be praised. You are gracious and generous to us in our lives. Lord, we reflect on on who we are. And once again, we want to praise you and thank you that you have made us to be 
image bearers of Jesus Christ, shaped by his character so that his becomes ours. What we have, we have because of him. Continue to build that sense of gratefulness in our own lives. Help us to see and resist how culture may pull us away. And help us to find our deepest satisfaction, our deepest sense of contentment, only as you, as we're trusting in you to work through us to provide that kind of strength. And so to you belongs all glory and praise. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's uh, stand.